me. Make the speech. Ron, please. Please. Give the speech, Ron. No. Yes. Please. Ron, please, please give the speech, please give the speech. Yes, 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 yes. Please, 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 yes, yes. All right, damn it, woman. Okay, everyone, shut up and look at me. Welcome to Visions of Nature. This room has several paintings in it. Some are big, some are small. People did them and they are here now. I believe that after this is over, they'll be hung in government buildings. Why the government is involved in an art show is beyond me. I also think it's pointless for a human to paint scenes of nature when they could just go outside and stand in it. Anyway, please do not misinterpret the fact that I am talking right now as genuine interest in art and attempt to discuss it with me further. End of speech. Well, good morning, everyone. End of speech. Wouldn't it be refreshing if all speeches were as honest and as direct as that one? Yeah, uh, ooh, hot. Um, it would be the end of politics as we know it. Um, anyway, uh, words. When Joe asked if Mark and I would be willing to preach on James 3 and the tongue, my first response was to feel honored. Then we actually read the passage. Uh, maybe Joe felt we could still stand to grow a bit in this area. Uh, but before I get into all of that, let me pray for us, and then Mark will read our passage for today. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Please use our tongues this morning to bring you glory and to begin to understand how much our words matter in your kingdom. In your most holy name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, our passage this morning is in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading the NIV version. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring 
produce fresh water. The first thing that jumped out at me about this passage is that the first part didn't feel related to the rest. I mean, he's talking about teachers, and then he launches into this whole discussion on the power of the tongue. Last week, Jason gave a powerful sermon on what James was saying about faith without works is dead. He talked about the tension of us being declared righteous by faith. But if we claim to have faith and our actions don't match up, then maybe the faith was never there to begin with. And here James ends that thought about works and moves straight to teaching. Maybe this is because there are many people who think that the best way to live out one's faith is to teach others in the church. But James warns, and he is seemingly including himself, that with teaching comes great accountability. Or in Peter Parker's case, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) And that if you're in a position of leadership in the body of Christ, what you say and how you say it can and will be held against you. N.T. Wright puts it this way. One sermon pushing a line, pouring scorn on a cherished doctrine or advocating something that's not quite right, and a whole church full of people may be set off in the wrong direction. One word out of place in a pastoral conversation, and the listener, at a vulnerable and impressionable moment, can be encouraged to make a false move. Yet even though James is singling out teachers, James goes on to say in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. So clearly, today's passage is relevant to everyone here. Every human who's ever lived, in fact, with the exception of Christ himself. So let's explore exactly what James has to say about the tongue. He first compares the tongue to three things. The first is a bit in the mouth of a horse, the second a rudder on a large ship, and the third is a small spark which can set an entire forest on fire. James uses this brilliant imagery to make his point. In each case, the bit, the rudder, and the spark are all minimal in size in comparison to their respective counterparts. It's the same with us. Think about how small the tongue is in comparison with our whole body. But the power, think about it this way. Every time we open our mouths to say anything, our words matter. If you're an optimist like me, you can think of it like this. Every time we open our mouths, we have this amazing opportunity to lift one another up and glorify God. If you're a pessimist slash realist like James, you can think of it this way. Every single time we open our mouths, we are potentially releasing a spark that can create a fire that, as he says in verse 6, and this is in the message translation, can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. So let's start there, the bad talk that can come from our tongues. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Years ago, I went through a time in my life uh, where I was picked on verbally. Friends of mine in high school had decided for some reason that it would be fun for them to tease me. Two of the guys in particular had previously been very good friends of mine. You might even say best friends during different seasons in my life. When my family moved to Garrett County during my sixth grade year, one of these guys was my first real friend in town. The other guy I became close with later in middle school and into high school. Our friendships were fine. We acted as normal adolescent boys, picking on one another in harmless fun. And then one day their teasing became more mean-spirited. 
If you've ever been on a sports team, you know that there's a certain amount of ribbing that you have to deal with when you're practicing. Everyone received their fair share of laughter when they messed up a shot, in my case soccer, uh, tripped over a ball. However, one day while standing on the concrete pad, while getting our shin guards on, this friend started teasing me about something. Normally others would laugh and then it would pass, however this didn't pass. It went on, it became more like a personal attack and less like banter. I don't think it was until after a few days of this that I even noticed that something was different. I was surprised that people I considered best friends would be so cruel. They would do it around other people and the collective group would laugh. Their constant put-downs and mockery made me feel very self-conscious and left me very sad. I knew then how powerful words can be. There was no physicality involved, only what came out of their lips, and in some ways that hurt more. You can see that evil words are limited to just profanity, racial slurs, or lying. Any language that devalues another human being can cause untold amounts of pain. But let's say that we were able to completely eliminate all profanity, slurs, and deceitfulness from our vocabulary. Yes, that would be extremely impressive. But I would argue that that's just the beginning. What about gossip? Or here's an even better one. What about anger-inducing words? Mark and I have gotten better at fighting. We've been fighting long enough that we know one another's fighting styles pretty well. Ten, Mark tends to, be, uh, to demand we get it all out on the table and hash it out even at 3 a.m. I tend to want to close down and not talk about anything, especially if I'm feeling misunderstood. But one thing we have both done many a time is figured out exactly what to say at the exact right moment to inflict the maximum possible amount of pain on the other person. And for that split second, that perfectly incendiary comment delivers. I'm satisfied by my own cleverness for insulting the love of my life. Yeah, it sounds even worse when I admit it out loud. Um, and then I've seen the look the shock that registers on Mark's face when I, he realizes what I've just said, and I'm almost instantly filled with regret. Brothers and sisters, I beg you not to do this. Nothing good comes from anger-inducing words, and this doesn't just apply to marriage. This goes for classrooms, boardrooms, G-chats, Facebook conversations, that email that you wrote in all caps that you're ready to hit send. Don't send, don't, don't hit send. Give it, give it 24 hours. There, this is not just for verbal words. This is for written words as well. Proverbs 15, 1-2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. If you're in the habit of intentionally using anger-inducing words, you need to go to God and do some serious business with that today. Let's shift to the good in our words. Proverbs 10.11 says, The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. What does it look like to be a life-giving fountain? What does it look like? Hmm. Well, with Mark, it looks like being my cheerleader, minus like the Spartan uniform. Um, he tells me constantly that he's proud of me. I mean, for a while when I began Curly Red, I think he believed more in me than I believed in myself. He also affirms me daily, 
like telling me I'm beautiful. You can all say all now. Um, (laughs) I think it's equally as important to affirm our spouses in front of other people. Every time I meet one of Mark's coworkers that hasn't met me yet, he or she always immediately tells me how much Mark talks about me and the girls, how much he must love me because he's always talking me up. And I can see it in their faces that they're not just saying that to be nice, they mean it. Sometimes it feels even better to hear compliments secondhand. Here's something else. Being in the same profession, we understand that our work as designers is so subjective and that the opinions that we get really matter. When we work together, we communicate as fellow graphic designers, not husband and wife. Early on in our relationship, we would critique each other's work, and a lot of times this would end with one of us being upset at the other. We realized that we needed to make boundaries as it related to our work. When an opinion was requested on a design, the person asking knew to expect the honest truth. However, if I have a criticism about her design work, I always try to tell her in a gentle, kind, and constructive way with the intention of making her a better designer moving forward. Speaking of criticism, there will always be times when you need to say something unpleasant to another person. Have that uncomfortable conversation Deal with that person who gets under your skin or has made you very angry in some way. I think it's wise to humble ourselves in prayer before we even find ourselves in one of these situations. And if it's appropriate, ask others to be praying for you as well. But once you're there, it's about not only what you say, but how you say it. It's like the words we recite in the prayer of St. Francis. Grant that I may not be so much, so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. If we go into conversations like these truly wanting to other, understand where the other person is, not only will the anger and defensiveness be diffused on both sides, but we might actually accomplish something. That brings us to our next topic. We need to be aware of how much we're saying. Not just the content of our speech, but literally how many words come out of our mouths each day. This is the part of the sermon that I was tempted to plagiarize from Bill Hybels, who is the head pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. Um, Our house church just recently spent time in his sermon series on Proverbs, and he gave a sermon back in April called Wisdom in Our Words. If you are interested in hearing more on this topic, I highly recommend listening to it or watching the video online. It's fantastic. So please don't hold it against me that the next part of the sermon is generously borrowed from Mr. Hybels. Anyway, he told the story of when he was on the board of a nonprofit that was having a very difficult time accomplishing anything. They had a consultant come in, observe, and come back with his findings. This consultant's advice has stuck with Bill Hybels for many, many years. The consultant explained that in every group, you have quick talkers and slow talkers. Quick talkers are the ones that tend to be extroverts and tend to want to express every single thought that comes into their head. Therefore, they end up talking over one another and dominating the conversation. Kristen's laughing because this is resonating with her. (laughs) Slow talkers are the ones who tend to be introverts and often have very important points to add to the conversation, but they can't seem to get a word in edgewise. This obviously applies to any sort of group of people from the dinner table to Bible studies to girlfriends going out to dinner. So, this is the interactive part of our sermon. The quick talkers in the congregation, I want you to raise your hands. 
Yep, get them up there, get them up there. If you see someone who should have their hands raised and doesn't, you can tap them repeatedly, anyone? All right, good, great, put them back down. All right, now slow talkers, go ahead, I'll give you some time. I'm not gonna make you talk, get them up, get them up. All right, slow talkers, get them up. Good, 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 all right, you can put them down. I'm gonna give you the same advice that the consultant gave Bill Hybels and his fellow board members. Quick talkers, you need to self-regulate. Increase your awareness about how much you're talking. I'm talking to myself while I'm saying this to you. And once that ding goes off in your head that you've spoken enough, you need to stop talking. Quick side story. When Kendall meets new people, she tends to get very nervous and talk even more than usual. She became aware of this fact uh, that she did this when we were dating and would feel awful and embarrassed about how much she dominated the conversation. So I began coming up with signs, codes for you're talking too much, shut up. And sometimes I just, yeah, it sometimes works, but sometimes I just ignore him. Um, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. All right, so back to the slow talkers, I'm gonna talk to you now. One of our favorite passages in Proverbs applies to you, Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Everyone thinks you're a genius. (laughs) Congrats to you. Plus, you can never underestimate the power of being a good listener and really carefully formulating your words before they leave your mouth. Both are extremely wise ways to live and love others, and it's probably one of the things your friends value the most about you. But being a slow talker has its downsides, especially in larger groups. Your opinion that could truly benefit the entire group may go unknown if you don't speak up. If that's not enough encouragement to come out of your shell, consider Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Don't let the quick talkers in your life keep you from adding your equally, if not more important, words to the dialogue. So the last part in today's passage, James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. We've talked now about how not to speak to one another, how to speak to one another with life-giving words, and how much we should be talking to one another. But what about our words as worship? How are we glorifying God with our tongues? I think the first thing that would come to most of our minds is singing songs of praise and worship to God. Jason actually just put an article in my mailbox about singing as a spiritual discipline. And it was pretty cool, actually. There's something that happens when you sing to God with your whole heart that's hard to achieve any other way. There's an openness, a vulnerability that I think truly pleases God. But for some of us, that enjoyment or desire to sing praise and worship music often isn't there. It's not my preferred method to worship God. It's just not. Every once in a while, the lyrics of a song we sing on Sunday morning will hit a chord in my soul, but it's few and far between. Instead, I like to simply talk to God on my own. But I was telling Kendall the other day that I find myself rambling when I'm talking to him in prayer. Yes, we're both quick talkers, if you haven't already figured that out. And then I end up apologizing for my rambling during prayer. It's kind of embarrassing. (laughs) Another way I like to praise God with my words is reading the word together as a house church, going through the books of the Bible as we've been doing, and learning about God and Jesus through scripture and discussion. And I think that's kind of the point James is making, right? 
I mean, the more time we fill our mouths with scripture and songs that praise the Lord, discussion about who God is and how he loves us, the less time it leaves for us to spew filth. And that ties back around to where we started. We can open our mouths and tear each other down and ignite a fire that causes major hurt, destruction, and sin. Or we can open our mouths and be a living demonstration of Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When James talks about both fresh water and salt water flowing from the same spring, it goes back to what Jason was saying about faith and works last week. If we claim to know and love God, but speak in the exact same manner as those who don't know and love God, then something isn't adding up. Jesus didn't hesitate to call out the Pharisees who were doing exactly what I'm talking about. Starting in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Loving and merciful Lord, we recognize just how powerful our words are and how often we are careless with them. Please forgive us for those times when we have torn others down by our hurtful or disrespectful talk. Increase our awareness of not only what words we say, but how we say them and how much we say them. We want our tongues to lift you up and those whom you have created in your likeness. Let our words bring you glory for your kingdom. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our time together.